Hello and welcome to The Mental Game. I'm Larry McGuire, coach and psychologist and writer at theperformances.com and here on The Mental Game. This show is primarily concerned with the psychology of human performance and how we can use what we've learned through uh, over 100 years of study and research into human behaviour, how we can find work that engages and fulfils us, perhaps for a lifetime. Uh, Too many of us, it seems, are at odds with our work, were disengaged, were unfulfilled, underappreciated, neglected. Uh, We feel like cogs in the machine of the commercial enterprise. I know this because you've told me. I know this because in research that I've done, people have reported to feel this way, and not just a few. We're talking 30 to 40% of respondents in a couple of different studies I've done, one particularly was particularly ad hoc, but uh, one recently published, uh, where people have, have said these very things. And I think that's a shame because we've only got one life. And if we're not doing work that engages and fulfills us, well, maybe we're wasting the time we've been given. So what's prompted me to create this show and the performances is to deliver you material that can help you find clarity and direction in your work, to finally choose work that makes you uh, engaged and fulfills you and that's what it's about so if you're interested in finding out more uh, how the psychology of performance can help you improve your work find work that you enjoy and uh, allow your performer to a high level well then you're in the right place i'm larry mcguire thanks for listening in and here comes today's episode Welcome to episode number 10 of The Mental Game. I'm Larry McGuire, coaching psychologist. And this week on the show, I'm chatting with Rob O'Donoghue uh, from Gartner Consulting. Rob works with uh, senior leaders in organizations and assists with leadership development, culture and people. Um, His work with organization extends to helping leadership teams solve complex cultural challenges and uh, enhanced diversity and inclusion within the organization. Rob, I figured would be a good man to chat to. Um, tap him for some information regard how larger organizations manage to get it right. Uh, what are the things they're focusing on and how can that help us in smaller organizations and indeed solo workers uh, create the right environment where we can uh, manage through change uh, and development of the organization, but also the, the broader change in, in, in respect to work. How can we make our work with success uh, and develop a positive culture where the business can grow or the organization can grow. Oftentimes on our own, um, we're left with sole responsibility for decision-making. And although that might work in a very tight, small unit with maybe only a few people, the larger the business grows, the more you will rely on your people to make decisions. And as your business grows, if your people can't make decisions, well, um, and keep coming back to you for answers. Well, it's just going to pull you apart. I know because I've been there, it's a horrible place to be when all you want is people to um, to make decisions and be uh, autonomous in their work. But if you can't create the environment where that happens to uh, flourish, well, you're in trouble. So Rob has some interesting uh, points to make on this. Um, we get into a bit of a conversation on it. And also, um, we get chatting about Rob's own personal work background, how he came to work where he is, uh, what he thought, um, what he was drawn to maybe 
as a younger person before he entered college in his college years and where that eventually brought him to. It's an interesting chat. I hope you'll stick around. It's about a half an hour long and um, let's get on with it. All right, here's Rob and myself having a chat a few days ago on leadership and culture. Hope you enjoy it. Uh, so Rob O'Donoghue is my name. Good to connect back with you uh, again after a couple of years. Um, in my role, I work with Gardner. So we're research and advice is probably the, the best term that I would use in, in what I what I do in the role. Um, and I research and advise CIOs, but also executive leaders. So across different um lines of business within within an organization to see suite um, uh, in lots of ways and my main focus uh, is on absolutely nothing really technical uh, even though i'm talking to, to technical leaders in many ways it's, it's about culture it's about leadership it's about talent and people and it's about diversity equity and inclusion and i'm starting to to dip my toe a little bit into sustainability as well but but from the lens of those those four areas so it's the human side of everything, I would say, and um, trying to uh, yeah, trying to help leaders, clients to to kind of uh, do better with work and make work more, I suppose, enjoyable and productive for their people. Um, and I'm emphasizing the word people more than employees. Yeah, that, that it's refreshing to hear it because you know, the, I suppose the traditional corporate world would be about you know getting things done, turning a book and being profitable. And um, I suppose the last 10 years, would that be fair that things have kind of shifted in terms of uh, the f- business focus on on people and creating a better work environment and a better culture than maybe in the past? Yeah, I would I would like to think so. Um, I would say I'm probably working 22 years or so now in professional life or whatever that might be. And um, I, I guess I've been lucky along the way to have some really good people managers and leaders that actually kind of got that early on but also without doubt I've had some that didn't and uh, they always made me more determined to be more of a people manager and people person when I when I did manage so I think it's the uh, thankfully the more interactions I'm having and throughout my career as it progressed it is yeah moving a little bit more to that and I would say over the last two years um, that's accelerated even more as a consequence, you know, of of the pandemic and people working from home. And now, you know, leaders, managers need to to manage the person as much as just the employee. You know? Yeah. And what do you think the? I mean, you're dealing with organisations in, in this respect. Uh, you know, your throughout your working week and day, or whatever. But what do you think is the is the big driver, the motivator for? leaders in organizations to kind of address, you know, the culture issue? Well, I suppose there's, there's, there's many different things, right? At the end of the day, organizations are predominantly there to, to make a profit, right? Unless you're a nonprofit or a NGO or, you know, depending on the kind of the, the purpose, but um, it, figuring out what your strategy is and tying your culture to that so that you have a thriving culture that will enable you deliver on your strategy now i would say what what i'm seeing more and more again without going into too much detail is organizations that are realizing you know environmental social you know diversity equity and inclusion the esg all of that are 
fundamental to their success in the long term. They need to kind of reposition um, their purpose uh, to be aligned to to to, the, to that. So the stakeholders aren't just, um, you know, to, to uh, making profit, but their their employees, the environment. There's a number of different factors in there. So so mm-hmm. I think that shift to becoming a bit more focused on the greater good. Um, and you can still you can still do good and, and make profit, right? So so I think that's that's um, that's important. And then figuring out what are the elements of uh, your culture that would enable you to do that, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, again, culture is you know a whole massive area. But ultimately, when I'm talking to clients now and in my role, they want to hear what I have to say. Uh, and maybe in previous uh, roles that you know the, the the manager and leader might have a, an interest, but in some cases they would they they would believe they're right no matter what, right? So so it's it's nice now to to know when you're talking to somebody in a powerful position and they realise that culture or diversity, equity, inclusion, or talent or whatever topic that we're focused on is. Um, something they need to, um, to to have a better perspective on and to you know trust the research and advice that we're giving um will will help them do that so they've and, come uh, they've come to you not necessarily with a problem but with it maybe a desire to to make some positive change and they're obviously open to hearing what you have to say then yeah it's a it's a want to rather than a have to right yeah, and yeah, i would okay. say 99 times out of 100 there's that um, sense that they're willing to listen and willing to learn and, and want to improve, and in very, you know, on a very rare occasion, yeah, I get the sense that that's not the case. But, mm. but again, yeah, that's 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 positive. Um, and I would say, like with everything we do in, in in the role and and in the work we do in Gartner, that it isn't just an opinion, right? It's not just me coming up with a kind of crazy idea that wet, this wet finger work. in the air type of thing it's it's based yeah, it's, in a, a research yeah research evidence-based um and if i'm you know giving the advice and giving it i always try to give an example or multiple examples of how it worked or, or, or lessons learned from it not working and they're real world examples from from organizations that either we've worked with or, or that are you know secondary research that's out there so so from that point of view we're you know, we're very much focused on that. Now, again, I, I the areas I focus on, because it's not technical, it's not like giving advice on one product over another. It's, yeah. It is more a bit um, messy in many ways because it mm. is dealing with the person and the human and the, the competencies and skills, but mm. we can still get evidence around that. You know? Yeah, it's the psych- psychology of work in, in practice, really, isn't it? You know. Yeah, it's organizational psychology and behavior, and uh, lots of mixed up things in all of that. And um, and like I said, like every day, you know, when I took this role two years ago, I figured I knew a good lot of things about culture and leadership and people, and and it's that kind of well known. I don't know, was it Socrates or whoever said that. The, the the more I know, the more I realize I, so I, I don't I know, know yeah. or less I know. So, and it is, it's, yeah, it's yeah. very true. Like it's, it's, very it's a never true, ending actually, yeah. Yeah. rabbit hole that you go down. And t- listen, um, a, a lot of the people that would maybe read what I have to write or, or listen to the podcast would be solo workers or, or maybe running small organizations. <clears throat> is there is there any advice you could give, let's say, and applying what 
you teach or what you try and uh, convey to your clients, is there anything that you might suggest smaller organizations can do? Because they, first of all, they may not have the budget to, to hire professionals, let's say, such as yourself to come in and do the work with them for long periods. What can they do to create the right culture or environment or, or, or even improve their own leadership skills at work? Yeah, like I would say, you know, in, in some ways, if you're a small shop, right, and there's a few people involved, you are much more nimble and agile and you can you can change much more quickly. Right. And uh, and that's that's very important. And I suppose I would say from a leader, manager, whatever role you have, if you're the CEO of five people, just always ask and listen to what those people have to, to say on how to move things forward how to solve the problems like at the end of the day the more um anyone is asked for their opinion and it's shown to be valued and you have a genuine interest and and you know a, a bit of humility and vulnerability that you don't have all the answers mm. you're going to increase the likelihood of those wanting to help and their accountability of actually following through on it will will be massively uh, yeah. increased as well. So, so you know, again, it's it's ask for help. Don't ever think that it's it's your solo slog. As as you said, it might be you might be a one man band, but you have friends or family that might want to help out. And mm. sometimes the hardest thing though in those positions is to ask for that. Right? If it's a pride thing or if it's a um, or a thing that you feel nobody else has the time or, you know, whatever yeah. might be the case. This this goes for, you know, any team, right? Any kind of, um, kind, of, uh, kind of set of principles that you might set up. I, I remember when I ran a team in previous company, we had a, a large enough team, but I suppose one of the things we, we put into that was, like, I was very much, I definitely don't have all the answers, guys, and I'm never going to pretend I do. So that was kind of very important um, kind of ground rule that I have and if you're looking around at everybody else and you think everybody's too busy to um, to, to kind of support you and you're afraid of asking for the help take on board a kind of a mindset of offering to help so so kind of instead of sure. asking for it always have in your mind um, can I help you know uh, just yeah. ask that on a regular basis Um and you know, then you're you're creating that kind of culture of, of kind of willing to support each other. Yeah, yeah it's it's interesting. Um, I've had conversations with other uh, owner manager type businesses, business owners, and um, when you when you start uh, something small, you before you hire anybody, you've got to have the answers yourself. You know, you have to figure it out, and it's very much about you know flying by the seat of your pants. Uh, do whatever you have to do to get it done, and then all of a sudden you have people coming along. Uh, employees and you, you almost create the culture where uh, you have all the answers even though you don't and then put yourself under immense pressure to come up with answers when things get tough uh, mm. the staff begin to uh, take on this uh, as being the way things are and never have maybe the wherewithal or developing themselves the skills to think so they're always coming to you looking for answers and it can be a really difficult position so i suppose what you're saying is um start at the start and, and build these things in from the word go that uh, you don't have to have all the answers and and, and admit that you don't uh, and maybe that's a way to kind of include your staff and the mm -hmm. people around you and try and find answers together um, mm -hmm. might be yeah. might be a good move yeah you said a good word is include right and inclusion when i talk about diversity equity and inclusion like inclusion doesn't necessarily mean 
as it's tied into that acronym that it's including underrepresented groups. Of course, it, it does at a you know multinational scale or a large scale, but in yeah. in in the, in the course of a small team that everybody um, uh, might all be from the same town or village or whoever you you know your friends or family, but it's about being inclusive, as in asking for their opinion, making mm. making them feel like they're they're part of the part team. of us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I can I can relate to that. So listen, uh, that's been valuable. Um, talk to me a little bit about uh, your own uh, journey and work because um, I'm I'm always interested in uh, where people have ended up versus what they what they thought at the beginning you know maybe when you were a young fella where did you see yourself or what did you what did you want to be was it a fireman or was it was it a guard or what was it for you uh, staying away Can from the remember? guards probably <laughs> uh, no uh, yeah like it, it's weird i i uh i suppose the earliest memory from that point of view um i grew up at home i'm from longford right i grew up back in longford at my mum single mother um and uh I always remember her kind of probably pushing me to to kind of become a solicitor or something like that. And that, that was never kind of something I really attached to. But there was always a fascination about what was going on in the head and, and the psychology and the brain. And, you know, mm-hmm. um, I, that was always something that was I had, I had an interest in. Like a lot of people that have an interest in that, there's not really, not, don't know why, it's just yeah. you're kind of connected to it. And when you're so passionate or feel visceral about when you're learning, you know, at whatever age and you figure out something related, why you might do something or why somebody did something different. And you think that's like, how is everybody not so completely enamored by this? And other people have, you know, yeah. passions for other things. If we were all liking the same thing, we'd be all be very boring. boring. Yeah, 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 exactly. But but yeah, that, that was kind of always a persistent kind of ideal to get involved in something in that space. Um, and then when I went through secondary school, um, psychology was my number one choice in Trinity in, in Dublin. And I remember it was like 1995 when I did my leave and search. So it was 515 points. And um, I got, I think I got about 470 or something like that. So my second choice was communications in DCU, actually, where, okay. where you're, you're at now. And and while I took that rather than repeating and I just said, um, I'd give that a go. I think I might have mentioned to you even in a passing conversation that that didn't work out after about six months. I was like, this isn't for me. And right. I went uh, I went back to college in Galway the next year and did an IT degree, which was a bit more stable at the time and it was an up and coming thing. But sure. but that that kind of passion for learning, quest for knowledge, wanted to kind of know the, the why a little bit more. Um, never really left me you know so it's always kind of been kind of close to where I want to get to so where I am now kind of has come back around very much aligned but it sounds of things to to that yeah but 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 um again it to trace it back as to why that was always there and never left me and kind of I'm closer to it now than ever not sure but but it it does definitely feel Mm -hmm. that um, you know, I could work for 12 hours today and I don't feel at the end of the day, I feel tired at the end of the day, but there's no part of me just saying, geez, I just don't want to do this tomorrow. You know, it's always like I'm looking forward to getting up and diving into something again 
different or closely connected to to that area again in the morning. Yeah, I think that's critical, isn't it? If you're going if you're going to have staying power in anything, there has to be that kind of uh, sense of being drawn into it and that curiosity being satisfied. Uh, well, never never really satisfied, but just on an ongoing basis, um, your interest uh, being peaked on an, uh, every day of the week because otherwise it's it's a slog. And the little bit of research that I've been doing, some of it ad hoc, but some of it um, a little bit more uh, uh, rigorous, um, show that large, there's a large amount of people out there who um, are at odds with their work, you know, that they really, they're doing it as a means to an end. And some respondents came back with that very uh, statement, you know, that mm-hmm. uh, I hate my work, I'm doing it just because it pays the bills, this type of stuff. And I mm-hmm. and, and I think that um, like we deserve better than that, do you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wonder, I, I wonder what we can do about it. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure that the workplace, if you want to take it as a as a whole, that the workplace as we have it constructed is is um, helps helps develop that curiosity or allows it, you know? Because mm-hmm. um, I don't know what your thoughts are on that. But. Yeah, I, I would say like I think there's a pathway out of it for everybody, but. It, it has to be a baby steps kind of approach, right? And mm-hmm. I think, you know, like like we were talking before and you've done a lot of work around the coaching space and I, in my kind of move pathway to where I am coaching, doing a diploma in that um, and uh, really diving into the self-reflection area of that and figuring out my values and in many ways, giving me perspective that it's a long game right it's not something you're going to jump out of yeah from trans- transition from one world to another Absolutely, like i yeah. you know like w- when we got to know each other through the podcast stuff i was doing i saw the uh, the work i was doing in that as valuable worth sharing but kind of a like a, another degree uh, as i was going along in in kind of learning exposing myself getting to mm-hmm. to um learn how to ask questions better and um and i didn't know exactly where to lead me to go but when i did my interview for the the, the roland gardner that was you know i did a video um right. cover letter right i put right. that forward as opposed to a written one and right. talked about the podcast and sent links to that and without a doubt if i hadn't done that mm. uh, I, you know while i had the coaching and 15 20 years experience that was um kind of a, a USP for yeah. me in some ways yeah. and yeah. and it was effort and it was working all the all the time and but I saw it as another thing that could open up a door right mm-hmm. and and while that was while I was working in my previous role and I liked some of that and certain parts of it I had no it was draining rather than giving me energy I always had a bit more energy when I'd finish and do an hour's interview with somebody like yourself and that you had to have that passion so it's finding maybe you know, an hour a day or two hours a day somewhere where you can do something you're passionate about and do it intentionally where you're learning and growing and developing maybe some other competencies mm. that is helping you move along a little bit That's to, to voice, whatever yeah. whatever that might be. Follow the thread almost, the thread of something. Yeah. And see and, where it takes you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And don't put yourself under too much pressure. Don't put yourself under too high of expectations because mm. that's, I think, one of the biggest 
challenges everybody I talk to that are struggling and that are frustrated. It's, it's an expectation setting thing. They're, yeah. they're expecting maybe to be doing something different than they are. Um, and nothing's going to change over rapidly overnight and you win the lottery or something like that. So work out a bit of a plan for yourself, mm. you know, through the magic of coaching, you can get a, maybe a bit clearer on where you want to get to um, and then work out a bit of a plan to kind of iterate towards it and then put in the effort and be disciplined around it. Yeah, it, there is a there is a way. In other words, um, you just got to maybe, as, as you said earlier on, maybe seek out that help that bit of help from somebody else. Um, it mightn't even need to be a professional, just a friend or or um, a brother or a sister or whoever that can sit down and, and, and someone to have a talk with about, you know, how you feel about your work. I mean, we spend so much time working. It's like half of our waking hours or more we spend working. And then um, we, we, we give our, the best years of our lives to this thing we call work. And really, I... You know, I don't see us having an option if we're going to be happy in, in our lives. I don't really believe in separating work and life. It's you take you with you. Um, it's you that's at, at work and it's you that's at play. And if we're not enjoying it um, to a reasonable degree, um, you know, uh, Annie Dillard, the writer, said how we spend our days, of course, is how we spend our lives. So you reflect back on the life you lived and um, it has to it has to give you something back when you do that. Like you said, I think the, the, the starting point, if we're, if we're unhappy in our work, is to just find something that commands our interest and then just do something small to kind of develop that a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. That's critical. But you mentioned yeah. something You meant, You mentioned something there, uh, winning the lottery, right? And I'll finish on this question. If all your financial needs were met and uh, you didn't have to work for a living, how would you spend your time? I, I joke with my wife about this a lot. Like I, I, I would, I would still kind of like, I, you know, we're talking about retirement and kind of planning for that day. Like I kind of, if I was doing what I was doing now, I'd still probably like to continually do some of that every day. Right. Cause it gives me a bit of a, a buzz and to do it fully on my own terms and to, to know that I could have a meaningful conversation with somebody to, just spark something in their thought process that they hadn't thought of before that could put them onto a, uh, you know, a, a new yeah. project, a new yeah. way of doing something that they could share that with their team that could make some of their team members feel better that day. Right. If, mm -hmm. if I talk to a, a leader who point blank for, you know, his whole career or her whole career um, said that they, they, they've, you know, never get things wrong or, or don't like admitting failure because it's a sign of weakness and, or, you know, whatever that might be. And if they could just change that and bring that back to the team and be that little bit more humble or, or vulnerable um, and that made other people on that team feel they were more, more able to talk about their own challenges in, in a more psychologically safe way, mm -hmm. you know, that that's that's powerful for me to know that you're having that little bit of an impact and uh, it might sound cheesy or whatever but uh, yeah that that's the sort of stuff that i'd love to keep doing for as long as i can uh, and uh, you know at this point in time right so um uh but but yeah that's that's kind of where where my head would be at right now um yeah, uh, of course. If if I hated what I was doing, uh, was doing it, it'd probably be a completely different answer. Yeah. I'd, I I I had a little ad hoc survey that I was running. Well, I'm still running it, and um, 
when people sign up for the newsletter, they, they're asked if they'd like to fill out this little survey. And there's an open-ended question. Uh, the open-ended question is, what, what would you do with your time if your financial needs were met? And uh, there's a really large chunk of people have said they would they would do art, they would write music, they would, uh, you know, they, they volunteer, they would all do all these, you know, um, kind of artistically based, creative based uh, activities. Nobody said that they would go shopping and, you know, uh, spend all their money on stuff they didn't need. Nobody said they'd go drinking or take drugs or or mm-hmm. engage in kind of this frivolous activity that most of us do. And it, it's it's really interesting because you could maybe extract from that that um, maybe on a whole, the reason why we do these things is to get away from, you know, the trouble or the stress and strain of life and, um, mm-hmm. and that uh, things can change. I think they can change um, and for the better, do you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's a fascinating uh, insight into, and it's kind of the question there. Yeah, you're probably expecting. I wonder, is the, does do you notice anything on the the age profile of the responses, and does that change over? I must check time? that actually. Uh, uh, yeah, I must check that. Um, the the vast majority would be would range from between let's say twenty five to fifty, mm-hmm. uh, and so there would be right in the in the middle of their you know active working lives, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, fascinating stuff. Yeah, like I, I agree. Look, we, we're all susceptible and open to change, and we we can do it. Um, but I, I think having having um, some sort of vision of where you want to get to, uh, and that can kind of ignite that daily kind of passion, and will allow you to to do the the kind of grunt work on something that you want to do. Right, is yeah. is key, and, and balance the two. Um, listen, it's been great talking to you and thanks for taking the time out uh, uh, this evening for the chat. Um, we'll have to we'll have to touch base uh, again soon and we won't leave it so long the next time. But then uh, what you call it, COVID, the COVID situation kind of spoiled everything for everyone, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I know it's been good to catch back up and it's nice now that we're kind of able to plan a few more probably in-person kind of potential meetups yeah. and whatnot um so there's a sense of uh some sort of normality is coming back so that's that's always positive long may it continue definitely yeah it was a good conversation uh i learned a lot from that i hope you got some value from it too um in respect to building healthy cultures within your organization large or small uh, if you'd like to find out a little bit more about the work that Rob does, uh, check out the link in this week's uh, episode on theperformatist.com. There's a link in the show notes this week here on, on Apple or wherever you happen to be listening to the show. Uh, incidentally, if you like the show and enjoy the content, give us a thumbs up, uh, rate the show, um, post a comment. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, make sure to come back here next week with a new episode for you. And uh, sure we'll talk to you then. Mind yourselves and... Uh, Have a good working week.